Hi, this is Bob, and today I have an interview with David Reese. David Reese is an American vocalist who has been active in the heavy metal rock scene since the late 1980s. Bands he's been in include Accept, Bangalore Choir, and many more. David has released an amazing solo album titled Blacklist Utopia. And here is my interview with the amazing David Reese. David, how you doing, my friend? Hello. Hello, Dave. How you doing? Hey, how you doing, Robert? Doing great. I wanted to thank you for taking time to speak with me today. Absolutely. I thank you. I appreciate it. You have to be very proud of Blacklist Utopia. It's a great album. Thank you, man. I am. I, uh, the response has been killer. Um, you know, during COVID, uh, it was, it was nice to be able to sit down and write a record, you know, rather than sit here and read terrible emails all day about cancellations and (laughs) the world coming to an end. So, yeah. Right. Um, this album definitely takes you on a journey combining all the best elements of metal that it, you can deliver. How was the recording process for the album? Uh, well, it, it's it's normally Andy Susamil and I start fiddling around with ideas, but Andy, the guitar player and producer, was doing a solo album, and uh, we had lost Cacophony of Souls came out the 13th of March, and we all know what happened, 2020. Right. So every day I woke up, it was like bad news, cancellation after cancellation, and, and it just really, really got to me, so... My bassist, Malta Frederick Burkert, who I've been playing with for quite some time, he wrote me one day and said, you know, I've been writing songs, but I'm, I'm, nobody really cares to hear what I have. And I said, Malta, send me something, you know. And uh, he sent me, I don't know, hindsight, I think, saved me and probably to the core. And I went, wow, this guy can write songs, you know. He's always mm-hmm. been one of those guys kind of afraid to step up and say, hey, what about this idea? You know, kind of like plays his bass, does a great job. But so we just started going for it. And I think in about a week, we had six or seven things fleshed out. And he's probably written 85% of the music on the record. And then uh, Andy heard about it. And of course, he said, hey, what about me? So he <laughs> he came in with uh, American Dream because we needed another ballad because Another Life, Another Time on Cacophony was really well-received. So we thought, okay, we got the heavy smashing record. Let's put a softer one on there. And Andy wrote the music for I Can't Breathe. And, uh, oh gosh, I can't remember the other one right now. My mind went blank. Anyways, that's how it kind of came into fruition. And when the lockdown was lifted, I went into the studio and because and, I had recorded on the phone to what Malta had sent me. And I went in and, and just started doing vocals here uh, in my village in Italy. And we finished the album in probably less than six weeks. It went really fast. I uh, spoke with Ron McCauley, and he wouldn't give me the information. So I'm going to ask you, where is this fountain of youth you guys drink from? Your voice is as strong as ever. <laughs> uh, you know, I, I I always, it's like I'm preaching to the choir, I reckon. But uh, I quit drinking uh, over three years ago. It was three years in September. I think that had a, a major impact on sustaining what I have left. Um, I don't smoke. 
I don't party. Um, I take pretty good care of myself. I think that's uh, a major factor. And then I, you know, I, I went to vocal lessons when I was younger. And uh, I've learned over the years, you get older, it's a muscle like an athlete. <laughs> you lose a little bit here and there. So you, do, you learn how to sing with it rather than push through it because it doesn't sound like it did. So I'm fortunate to be able to do that. And uh, I think a lot of it's just, you know, taking care of your body because it's your instrument. The whole It's like a drummer. I mean, they can't go out and do kickboxing and then go play on drums all night, you know. Absolutely. Um, try to write the songs in the right keys that suit my voice, you know. And usually I know if a song is going to work with the melody, if it, if it suits me, to start pinning words to. And I can sing it while I'm writing it. And I go, ah, that's comfortable. I'm not really straining. But I, I, I'm just lucky. Uh, I'm 61. Uh, you know, I've had, I've had a few rough patches here and there. Every singer does, you know. Last summer, actually, I went through kind of a weird thing where the voice wasn't uh, reacting to what was in my head. And I thought, uh-oh, what's going on? But it was kind of psychological, you know. And that, that's probably 99% of being a singer is just attitude. You just go in there and say, I can do it you know right um i also wanted to ask you speaking of uh your vo vocals um when you record your vocals do you stand up or or do you lay down i stand up i like to feel it my feet in the floor i like to sing with my shoes off um if my feet hurt i don't feel good a lot of times i'll perform barefoot i saw ronnie van zandt do that and leonard skinner and i thought it was the coolest thing i ever saw when I was a kid, you know, but uh, yeah. I, I think that's why he did it. Cause he just, he's no country boy anyways. And, you know, barefoot probably his whole life could probably walk over glass with those feet, but <laughs> right. <laughs> you know, but I, I just, yeah, I, I have sang sitting down uh, some slow ones before in my life, but I think the whole body, you, know, you plant your feet and, and push, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. I know Freddie Mercury, I've read, had, had laid down for vocal tracks. I've read some articles where he, certain songs he had to lay down to reach those really high notes and stuff. I don't know if it's true or not, but I've, I have read that. Yeah, I have too. And also, uh, Ace Frilly um, spoke up when he recorded the first time his vocals and he had to lay down to do Shock Me. Yeah. Yeah, I have heard about it. Some guy, everybody's weird. We all have our own little weird techniques you know i mean i know ronnie dio never warmed up i mean i sit and chatted with him one night on a bus and and uh they're about to go on he was having a guinness and smoking a joint i said what do you do to warm up he looked at me and laughed he goes this and he went out and sounded <laughs> incredible i mean just like you know bulletproof vocal cords and udo you know he never warms up he just goes out and nails it every night i mean he's been doing it for 50 years so some yeah. of us have to do the the scales and the whoa, 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 and stuff like that. And and just to find out, you know, especially touring, you know, if you're tired and you didn't sleep. Uh, it's funny when I don't sleep real well, I tend to sing really great the next day. But I got to catch that eight hours that night after that rough night. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So, like I said in the beginning, it's it's everybody's different. We've all got our little tricks and quirks and. That's weird. I'll wake up in the morning and it's where I'm, I guess the word is lucid, more open-minded and start writing really early, like 5 a.m., 6 a.m. And I, I can sing really clear and high. But as the day progresses, I kind of go through this, you know, rough patch and then it comes back later. 
you know, I'll start singing along and go, wow, I can sing this early. I just woke up. But I think it's because your brain is still uh, relaxed, you know. Right. Um, my favorite song on the album is I Can't Breathe. The, ah. That rhythm is just, that dirty rhythm is amazing. And the whole package is great. Thank you. If you had ah. to pick a favorite track, what would it be and why? I think to the core is kind of the one I'm leaning on right now. I actually just finished a video of it with my brother, Bob. Uh, he did a few videos for me on Cacophony. I, I don't know. There's something about the darkness of that song. It's got some Metallica, Megadeth riff, riffage in it. Um, I'm singing the lower register. It's got the colorful talk part in the middle. I kind of, I'm kind of leaning on that song. But then if I don't listen to the album for a few days, I'll hear it and I go, oh, that's pretty cool. Like Civil War or, you know, oh, I can't sure. breathe. I can't breathe is great. And Civil War has got Roland Grappau playing solos. He, he co-wrote it with me, with Jimmy Waldo. And, you know, I listen to his guitar playing. I'm like, oh, God, I forgot how great that was. So, but, you know, I tend to kind of go back to to the core. But I can't breathe is, it's funny because we didn't have a budget at all for videos. And my brother does it for real reasonable price. And it was kind of a dorky video, but it worked. You know, I was afraid mm -hmm. to release it because of the, the haters on the keyboard warrior field. We're going to come at me with swords, but uh, I mean, it's, it's getting thousands of views and people love that track. I can't breathe. It really worked. I also was afraid they were going to attack me because of that whole George Floyd thing it has nothing to do with him. I mean, it's, right. it's, it's about me being strangled with all this, uh, whatever you call cancel culture and the way everything's going. That's what it's about. And of Thank course you've you got the monster Andy Susan meal. I mean, you don't, Oh. Find, you don't find guitar players like him easily. There, he, he maintains the, the Shanker, the Gary Moore, all those influences, but he has his own technique and style, and he really puts his thing on this record. I, I can't say enough about how great he is. He is. He's an absolutely amazing. Yeah. Um, he's uh, definitely one of the top shredders in the game, really. Oh, yeah. I mean, you don't play with Udo Dirkschneider if you can't play. I mean, that's where right. I met him, you know. I wanted to ask you, can you talk about the lyrics of American Dream? Okay. Um, I was raised in a hardworking, blue-collar family. My father, the first 12 years of my life, was working full-time and going to college at night. He achieved... I don't know how many PhDs in microfilm, uh, chemistry, engineering. And he always told me as a young kid, I had, I think the first job I had was a paper route. And I had to do two shifts a day, morning and evening. And then Sundays he would help me. He, he'd come down because they were heavier papers. But he always told me, I don't care what you do. If you're a, a post hole digger or what it is, you're going to be the best there is. You're going to show up on time. You're going to work for your money. And you're going to earn your keep. And be a man. And what I've seen, first of all, I saw a photo of the Statue of Liberty uh, with the Twin Towers. One was collapsing. Somebody had taken a photo behind it or something. And it just really knocked me in the head because, you know, with the 20 year anniversary, it really affected me. Plus, watching all these people that seem to think uh, I, that somebody owes them something. I wasn't right. raised that. You know, I'm alone in my American dream. You know, there's a line in that song, The Lady on the Island. I used to know her name. Now she's just a puppet on a string. And that, that's, it's, it's liberty. It's freedom. And mm -hmm. 
I'm, I'm really all about that, to be honest. I mean, I'm, uh, I'm hardcore when it comes to believing you work for it. I mean, I was just watching. A, I'm, a, I'm a big rodeo fan. I was watching a lot of these famous bull riders, you know. And there's a certain echelon of guys that are like, there's like 10 of them. And they say, to be the best, you got to believe you're the best. You got to do the best you can, or you're going to get your head smashed. And you're going to be the bottom feeder at the national finals. You're going to make it to it, but you're not going to get up there and make those great rides and get the great stock. And that hit me today. I was like, you know what? That's kind of like it is for me or the way I think, you know, it's, I'm proud of that. I'm proud of my integrity with work. I don't, I mean, I, I have a roofing job. I just left in Denmark. I was laying tar roofs in the summer. Um, rock and roll doesn't pay anything. <laughs> you got to survive, you know? <laughs> right. So, yeah, that that's where that comes from. And uh, what do you feel has been the key to your longevity in the business? Same thing I just said about the bull riders. You know, you, you it's a... I've said it many times and I'll say it again. This is a full contact sport, rock and roll. I mean, nobody's, if, if it was easy to be famous, we'd all be famous. And I think, I think just that drive that I have, sometimes I question my sanity. <laughs> mm -hmm. uh, you know, it's, it's, it's a, it's not an easy life. I mean, you, you have a lot of expectations, but you have, none of them are met until you kind of realize I'm not doing it for them. You know what I mean? It's like, you know, not everybody's going to think you're great. Not everybody's going to like your songs. Um, record companies, uh, especially lately, it, it seems that, you know, they're signing things that I wouldn't even listen to. And they'll get the big money corporate thing behind them and then they'll break them. And they last about six months and then you don't remember the name of the band at the end of the year. It seems to be... I don't know what it is. There's the longevity of rock and roll is, is kind of gone, but I, I just can't stop. And I don't want to stop right now. I, I actually left music for nine years and uh, never knew what a computer really did. And I raised bird dogs in Montana and I trained them and I ranched and uh, a friend of mine wanted a hunting dog. So I traded him a puppy for a computer and he was an IT guy. And I didn't mm -hmm. know how to turn it on. I didn't know how to turn it on. So he set me up with a, My, a MySpace page and all that stuff. And as soon as I got back online, everybody's like, where have you been? And I was missing music. You know, I'm not going to lie. I mean, it, it was part of my life for so long. And then I had a bunch of offers to come do records, like in the first week. So I came back. You know, it's always in there, that drive. You know, it's who I am. It's, it's a cloth that I'm cut from. And rather, it's not a curse. It's just what I do. And I try to do the best that I can. I mean, I'm, I'm my own worst critic. I, I mean, I, I don't have a studio at home because a lot of people do. And they go in and sing their tracks in their little studio room and they think they're, you know, better than white bread. But if you listen back to yourself, you go, you know what? I need somebody behind the glass going, you know what? You're not selling me that track, Dave. So I work. I'm fortunate to work with guys like Mario Percadani and, and vocals. He's an amazing vocal producer and then another guy named Ricardo Morosi here in my village. Those guys really kicked my ass to get the best out of me. And I wanted to know, will you tour this album? Well, I, all my shows are, you know, been pushed back from last year. So I'm supposed to resume in May mm -hmm. uh, in, in Spain. And uh, 
And then I just recently confirmed some dates in November. I'm trying to put together like a, a two week run there, but it's really weird because a lot of my friends that are booked for this month and next month are getting pushed to next year. So, I mean, God only knows, bro. I mean, it, I want right. to play live. I mean, what, how you can make records all month long sitting at home, but it's not the same. It's funny because when you perform the songs you recorded, you kind of realize, man, I should have sang it that way. You know, you really feel what the song can do. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. I miss it. I miss it badly. I did one gig this year. I did a gig in Bulgaria with a band called John Steele, and I did their new album during lockdown. It's called Distorted Reality. It's a progressive kind of Iron Maiden thing. Uh, and, I, and I went to Bulgaria. I've done a bunch of gigs with them. And I got to tell you, it was like, I felt like an alien. I didn't feel comfortable. I, I, everybody, nobody was masked. I was trying to be Mr. Safety guy and everybody's sweating and hugging you and shaking your hand. And I thought I'm going to die of COVID when I get home, you know, I'm, I'm vaccinated, but, uh, it just felt weird. You know, we rehearsed for a couple of days and then we did the gig. It just, it's because I'm out of the game. You know, I'm rusty. So I, I need to get back on a full-time schedule, you know. I wanted to ask you, um, what is was the best advice that was given to you from your peers during your career? The, the one that rings in my head all the time is when I was doing the Accept album, Eat the Heat. Dieter Dirks, you know, the famed producer from Scorpions and all the other bands. That, mm -hmm. He and I were doing uh, pre-production vocals in the studio and I sang in the control room with him, this massive place. And he said to me, he stopped recording and he looked at me and he said, you can really sing. You got power, you got pitch. The problem is, is I don't know what your, who your voice is and neither do you. And it's my job to find out that, that key. At first I was pissed off, but then those were those, that was so true. It was probably the most honest thing he ever said to me. And that's what I've, the advice that I carry, you know, as a singer, I don't know if it's the same for other musicians, but like I said earlier, you know, you, you work with your limits, you work with your strength. And uh, that advice, you know, because back in those days, before I got an accept, I was playing in cover bands. So when you play in cover bands, you got to sound like the guy you're singing like, right? So you're Absolutely. singing Halford tunes and Klaus Minus songs. You're doing Accept songs. You're doing you know, Rainbow songs, you know, and the people are paying money and getting drunk wanting to hear that cover song. And then you're doing cheap trick songs and stuff like that. So you kind of, you know, it's hard to find out who you are. You know what I mean? Because mm -hmm. you want to get paid. So, yeah, you spend a lot. You wait. You learn a lot. of. You put a lot of tricks in your bag. Yeah. As a, a club guy playing six nights, seven nights a week, four hours a day, traveling in a car. And you learn a lot what you can and can't do and what you shouldn't do. But you also kind of lose that. That's what he was talking about. Yeah, I think... Uh... You there? You know, one of the thing artists thinks for a guitarist is to find his identity and his sound. Yeah. You know, so that when you put on put on, you go, Oh yeah, that that's Ingby. That's yeah, that's Eddie, you know. Yeah, I mean that is 
if you think about it, about every 10 years, some maniac shows up that everybody <laughs> falls over for. Right. You know, and you got Hendrix, you had before him a plethora of great guys. And then this guy, Eddie Van Halen, shows up. And I'm like, I know a lot of guys that just put their guitar away. <laughs> I can't. I, the world has changed. Yeah. And then you got the Ingve, the Speed Demons, that they're doing Paganini riffs and Bach riffs. But I mean, it's unbelievable how they can play. Uh, the Steve Vise, you know, they kind of, what do they call it? Transcendental meditation, where they fast for four or five days and don't eat and don't go to bed. And then they go in the studio and start recording. That's a whole different level, you know? <laughs> it's like, what kind of space trip are you on? But it, it's that's what makes them stand out. Speaking of Steve Vai, um, if you want to hear a quick story, I I did a record with Jimmy Waldo and a guy named Steve Rosen. You may know Steve Rosen from YouTube. He did interviews for, I think, Guitar World Magazine and Rolling Stone. He interviewed all the great yes. guitars. And Jimmy and I had hooked up to a mutual friend uh, I knew Jimmy anyways from the Alcatraz days and, and uh, New England. But uh, Steve Rosen had made all these guitar players promise that, you know, if I get you on the cover, uh, we, I want you to play on my album if I ever do one. And Jimmy said, Steve Rosen wants to do the record, wants you to write the lyrics and sing on it. I'm like, okay. So we started writing songs. And then uh, the manager calls up and says, well, we've got Bumblefoot on this track. We've got Steve Vai on that. We've got Satriani on this. We've got... Uh, Kane Roberts on this one. Uh, you know, I mean, it's just Paul Gilbert. Right. It goes on and on. So I'm in the company of Kings singing to the songs that I wrote with those guys. And I've heard the playbacks. It's incredible. The group's going to be called Highway Sentinels. It's kind of a, a one-off project. Maybe we'll do another one. It's coming out next year sometime. But it's yeah. it's a great thing. It's it's not, It's not. some of it's super heavy. We re-recorded we re two Blackthorn songs in honor of Bob Kulik. Mm. Um and the rest, the nine others, I wrote with Jimmy and Steve. So it's pretty cool. Every song's got a different guitar player. And when you talk about identity, you know right away it's Satriani. You know right away it's Gilbert. You can tell. Oh, yeah. And, uh, you know, Bob was a great, great guitarist. Yeah, great songwriter, too. God rest his soul. I mean, the man suffered mentally. I mean, it's horrible how he went out. I mean, I mean, he had the demons, you know, and it and it just got to him. I think it was a it, it wasn't like not expected, but still really sad. I wanted to ask you. Um, I'm from Ohio, the ah, home cool. of the supposed rock and roll hall of fame. I wanted to know, um, what's your take on the joke it's become? Exactly what you said. It's a farce. <laughs> what about bands like Grand Funk Railroad, Judas Priest? Um, what happened? I mean, it seems like if you shake your ass and wear a bra on stage and have a dance crew, you're getting nominated and you, you don't even write your own songs. How many great artists did they steal from or those writers that write for them that should be nominated and, and chosen? Uh, I think it's a farce. Um, would I pass up being ex uh, in brought into it? Probably not. But I know that what I did was real. But I, I just right. don't. I mean, Lukather made a good point one day at, in an interview. I admire him greatly as well. And he's played on 5,000 plus records. And 
he said music has become kind of like McDonald's. It's like a drive-thru. It's McDrive music. And, you know, you get in the drive-thru, you order your extra large fries and your Big Mac, and halfway out the driveway, you've already eaten your French fries, and you get to the next stoplight, and you're munching your hamburger, and by the time you get home, you forgot what you ate for lunch. And he said, that's kind of how music's gotten. It's uh, disposable. And uh, I, I, it says rock and roll hall of fame. How can you put a rapper in there? Right. I mean, I mean you know what I'm saying? I mean, you're not rap is Absolutely. rap is a whole different spinoff of street life and, and Motown. I get that, but it's not rock and roll. You know, so I think it's a joke. <laughs> yeah, it is. It's literally a joke and it's sad because. It didn't start out that way initially, but it didn't take long to to steer the ship the opposite way. Well, yeah, the ship got steered because of money and what's the you know, fashion of the day, the McDrive music, right? It, mm -hmm. uh, in America, what the difference is compared to Europe, it, you're here today, gone later today. It's, it's fashion. In Europe, these guys wear their vests over their leather jacket with your patches, and they will stay loyal to you even if you've had a few stinker records come out. They'll come see you play. They support you from the time that they heard you and liked you to the till you're dead or you stop. You know, they're a loyal legion of fans in the metal community in Europe, far stronger than I see what happens in America. I can't watch these Eurovision best talent vocal shows anymore. I mean, most of those people, you know, they're here, you see a competition and they win and they get a single and they get a hundred thousand euros. And then two weeks later, I don't even remember his name. Right. So it's, it's, it's just, that stuff doesn't appeal to me at all. Look at a band like ACDC. They play the same chords in every record, but they deliver the goods, you know? They, absolutely. <laughs> That's a rock and roll band. You know what I mean? Are they in? Are they in the Hall of Fame? Uh, I don't believe that they are. No, there you go. Another criminal. <laughs> yeah. I mean, how many great songs have they written? They've been part of our life for 40 years. Yeah. And, you know, you know, I, I understood one of my favorite bands growing up was Kiss. They got, got me into metal. And, uh, you know, I understood when Paul Stanley got up there and said, hey, you know, thanks for the award, but really, guys, this, this has become a joke. Yeah. You know? I mean, he can say what he wants. I mean, he's right. Those guys, I mean, look what they've created. It, I mean, when Paul and Gene decide to step down, they could put two guys in their makeup and continue the legacy of Kiss for another 20, 30 years, and people will still go and hear their favorite songs. I mean, Absolutely. they created something that's timeless. I mean, everybody had a KISS lunchbox. I mean, the KISS Army. Most of the guys that I started playing in bands with would come to rehearsal, a lot of them dressed like Ace or, you know, the Star Child. I mean, my guitar player in my first band, he'd wear a star in his eye and paint his face white. Halloween, everything. Rehearsal was crazy. Black wig. So that's impact, you know. Absolutely. And I wanted to ask you, where are some uh, vocalists that inspired you? Well, I'm an old-schooled guy. I mean, uh, all the singers that you hear now, if they're honest, will say who their influences are because they didn't create it. 
Uh, I'm a big Paul Rogers fan. I love Ian Gillen. Um, there are some new singers that I really like, like the guy from Rival Sons. I mean, it's not new, but I think he's great. Um, Beth Hart, I really like her. Uh, I'm also kind of a, I like Steely Dan. I mean, I love what they did for years. I mean, I've been on kind of a kick with them studying harmonies and arrangements. And, and I'm also a, a huge Tom Petty fan. Uh, I always say that Tom could say more in three words than I could in 10. <laughs> right. Won't back down. I mean, come on. I mean, some of those songs, top of the world. I mean, great, great, sincere lyrics that stick in your head. You got lucky. I mean, give me a break. Won't yeah. back down. I mean, when, when he passed away, I don't know if you saw the Florida Gators uh, game. There were 80,000 people singing Won't Back Down. Wow. And these, are, these are kids, you know, with their parents. They knew the words. I mean, it was, it was, it, I broke, broke into tears. You know, I mean, it was like, what an honor. So he's made a huge impact on me. And I, I like Bob Seeger. I loved Greg Allman. I still do. Um, those guys are real singers. You know, I like the guy from the Black Crows, Chris Robinson. I think he's great. Mm -hmm. uh, Steven Tyler, of course. And then nobody could deny that Freddie was probably the greatest of all time. Freddie Mercury. Yeah. Robert, Robert Plant. I mean, the list goes on, but I come from the 70s, so I'm, I'm kind of inspired by those guys, and I've used a lot of their tricks. One thing I did make a mistake was when I came back into music, I started doing kind of a white snake trip where the keyboard player and the guitarist and I wasted some years, you know, doing kind of a white snake movement. And I said, what am I doing? You know, I want to be heavy, like, except my fans expect me to sing Hillhammer and D train and ecstasy and i still can do it. And that's why when you saw my solo album start coming out, I went kind of heavier. Like you said, you know, this album, it, you know, it, uh, portrays a lot of that stuff that sure and it, it and it's not stagnant and feel from track to track um there's elements of progressive there's elements of you know just in your face rock there's uh rhythm and blues in there feels mm -hmm. and so and that's what makes the album so great is that it's not one song for 40 minutes yeah and we're careful about that. You know, if it, we have too many songs in the right, the same tempo or keys, then I'll say, man, that sounds like that song. You know, let's, let's switch it up. And, uh, you know, so I'm glad you noticed that. I appreciate that. It's, it's a, it's an effort on by all of us. I mean, we do have a style together, uh, with the guys I work with. I mean, it's definitely there a sound, but I wanted to have more of a modern metal approach on, on this one and the last one. The new sounds, but you know the old feel. Mm -hmm. And we changed drummers. We got Francesco Giovino from Primal Fear and UDO playing on this record, and he's also playing with me. I formed a new group called Iron Allies with Herman Frank from Accept, and uh, on bass is Donnie Van Sabren from Riot. So we've written about twenty-two songs. Right now, we're shopping uh, management and record companies. So. I'm going to re remain a solo artist, but I know that I need to be in a touring band with main guys that the promoters say people will come, you know, because as a solo artist, you can fill, you know, two, 300 seats, but you got to take it higher than that, especially now. I mean, everybody's right. 
holding on to the door frame to get a gig. And a lot of great young bands are playing for free because they live in these small communities and they can bring 200 of their friends that will drink the place dry. And right. they, they'll pay 20 euros to see their band and support them. And, and a promoter will say, cool, can you guarantee two, 300 people? Well, no. Well, I got this band that I have, you know, every week of the weekend that I get two or 300 people here and they, they I make a ton of money. So it, it, it's business. So when you get named guys like that together, my history, Herman's, Donnie's, and Francesco, promoters are already calling me saying, can I book the band? Can I book the band? Can I book the band? And I'm like, okay, this is starting to work. Right. And the cool thing about Iron Allies is, is the history. I mean, I was in the same band at different times and except with Herman, we've got such a vast catalog of back material. We, we wouldn't even have to write an album. You know, we could play Riot song. We could do a and play for two hours, you know? So it's pretty Absolutely. exciting. I, I'm really excited about this. It's uh, really coming together. And I wanted to yeah, ask yeah. you. Um, go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. I wanted to ask you, um, are there any funny road stories that you can share? Oh, God. Oh, man. I get asked that a lot. I, I remember one trip. We had an old RV and it was in Bangalore Choir and we were, I think we were out with the lynch mob at the time or whatever, but I know we started in Milwaukee. We drove straight from LA to Milwaukee and I think we all screwed up central time. We didn't even think about that. So we were an hour ahead. So we raced with no sleep. I think we drove 44 hours and this RV, thank God our tour manager was a mechanic. He could open up the box in the front seat and reach down in the engine and get it running. You know, he's covered in grease all the time. We had a big greasy towel on the floor. And, you know, we were using all kinds of substances in those days to stay awake, of course. Mm. We got to the gig. I mean, the guy was literally closing the gate saying, I canceled you. We got so I said, no, no, we're here. We just walked on stage and it was, I mean, we killed it. I think we played with Candle Mass and a bunch of bands, uh, Soundgarden. It was a great gig, big outdoor festival. When we worked our way back, and on the way back, it was so brutal. We had no air conditioning and stuff. And this is a silly road story, I guess, but the Pecos River in New Mexico. I said, stop this RV. I got to take a bath. <laughs> so we all, we all stripped down naked, and we had about a case of Budweiser, you know, and we put the beer in the river. It was about waist deep, and we all just sat down with these giant trout swimming around us with the beer floating next to us, keeping it ice cold. And that was that was a fun story because – we're heading home and we're exhausted, but we just kind of sat there and went, this is cool. So every time I think about Wild Bill Pecos, I think about that river story. <laughs> Ice cold Glacier River, you know, and, and it's 120 degrees in the desert. So it was pretty nice. But there's there's a tons and tons of stories. Fist fights and limos. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> there's one that, that I can tell you if you want to hear it. It's Bangalore Choir. We we were uh, playing these gigs on Wednesday nights in California called the Red Onions. They were like a chain of restaurants and they would hire us to play acoustic shows on Wednesday nights. And uh, so we said, yeah, we'll do it. You know, we weren't doing anything. Mm -hmm. So we did about a month of those. And I think the last one, we all got shit faced and Kurt and I got into a big argument. Next thing you know, there's a full on band brawl in the back of the limo. I mean, glass <laughs> flying. 
I mean, a cigarette in my mouth because I smoked in those days and ashes flying. And I mean, we're just, the drive driving is swerving all down the 101, screaming, stop it. And then this is a $50,000 car in those days and we're trashing it. I mean, I got my boots stuck in the liquor rack and I smashed all those crystal bottles and it was just horrible. So, you know, I had a black eye and a swollen lip. The guy's stomping on me and I'm stomping on somebody else. Just, you know, banned stuff. Well, the next morning I woke up just hung over from hell, you know, and uh, black eye. And it's my manager saying, get your ass down to KNAC radio right now. You're in big trouble because KNAC was putting that on and they were paying for the limo, which would pick us all up at home, drive us down there, you know, free food, mm. play, play our show acoustic. And there was always about 500 people or so there with their great gigs. So I'm like, what do you mean I'm in trouble? He goes, I'm not going to say anymore you need to get your ass down there. Cause we had a, a single being played on full rotation. And so I slapped myself a few times, rinsed my face off, threw my boots on because I was still in my clothes and got outside and it's LA about 12 and it's hot and I got to drive to Long Beach. Right. So I get down there and I'm like in a fog and I walk in the door and I'm used to everybody jumping up and saying, Hey Dave, you know, everybody just kind of looked at me and would look away. And I thought, Oh, <laughs> <laughs> oh, I go into the, the, the program director's office and he throws a bill down on the table for $12,000. And he said, if you think I'm going to pay this, you can kiss my ass. If you don't fix this problem, we're going to drop you from the station. And I'm like, who's the problem? Here's the limo company that we hire. You got to go see him. I'm like, oh, God, this is getting worse by the minute. So I drive down, drive another hour probably south, and then there's the car in this parking lot, and the doors are open with all these Mexican guys cleaning it, and there's velvet hanging from the ceiling. There's glass everywhere. <laughs> and this car is trash, man. <laughs> you know, you got five grown men with a with a tour manager in the back. You know, there's six of us back there throwing punches. And uh I'm like, I'm dead. I am so dead. So I walk in there just sweating bullets, you know. And the guy's on the phone, and he's stressed out booking cars. And I said, oh, yeah, I'm uh, David Reese. I'm here to see you about the limo. And he dropped the phone and looked at me. He goes, you son of a bitch. And he drug me out there to look at the car, and I didn't even want to look at it, you know. So I'm thinking, think fast, think fast, think fast. And he said, what band are you playing? And I said, I play in Bangalore Choir. And he goes, Bangalore Choir? My son loves that band. I said, yeah, I'm the singer. And he goes, wow. And it changed the mood right away. So I, I took the moment and I said, you know what? In the trunk of my car, I got a case of CDs and I'd be willing to give those and sign them for your friend, your son and all his friends. He goes, would you do that for me? I said, I'll do anything to, to make up to you. <laughs> <laughs> so I pulled out, a, back in those days, they came in a long box. Remember that? They had a, oh, yeah. And a, I pulled out probably 50 of them, started signing them and one to his wife, to him, his dad. I mean, his family, you know, and he go, that's so cool, man. I said, God, I'm so sorry, dude. We got drunk. We just, he goes, ah, oh, don't worry about it. I got insurance. No problem. I want you to have a good day, son. And I'll talk to you later. Thank you so much. And I got in the car and I thought for a minute, did that really just happen? <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> so the next day my manager's calling me in a panic. What happened? What, what happened? Are we, are we cool? I said, Everything is fine. <laughs> we survived that one. But uh, that was a rough night, man. That was one of my road stories. And, and uh, I mean, that car was, I mean, shaking side to side. That poor man was rolling the window down, screaming, stop it. 
I mean, that poor guy, I mean, he was dropping us off a mile from each of our house. Get out of my car. Because, you know, he's hired to drive the damn thing. Right. (laughs) (laughs) Now, that went down. That's one of the historical stories that I can tell you. I also (laughs) wanted to ask you, what's the best way to get your merchandise? Well, I have a a website, davidreesofficial.info, but uh, because of the touring problem, this time I, I decided not to to make shirts and all that stuff because they'd be sitting here in the house in the basement for God knows how long. But you can order the record, you know, with all the outlets that are available um, and from El Puerto. There's still a few of those limited metal boxes that they did. They're really cool. You get a dog tag, a pic, photos, the CD. It's in a nice metal box with the cover on it. I think there's a couple of those left. But I really didn't do that because my wife and I looked at each other and said, you know, we've got shirts from Cacophony and Souls tour from the when I was out with UDO, mm-hmm. you know. And we made the mistake of buying mediums. And uh, most of the guys that come out to see me are my size. I'm a pretty fairly large guy. And, you know, you got to get XL or XXL. Those are with sell. So don't buy mediums next time, Dave. Don't buy medium. Because, you know, the, right. women will, the, the women buy them, but then they say, why don't you have female medium or women's small? <laughs> well, I didn't think about that, but you know what? I'll right. put that in the book. So, <laughs> you know, I've, I've sold a ton of stuff. A lot of times when people order the record from me, if I have any here, I'll, I'll throw in patches and stuff like that and some swag and a thank you, you know, from, from last year. But no, I don't have any of that. I'm going to update the website here in a few, few, few days after I finish all the media. I've got four or five more podcast to do in a couple of magazines so and then everybody can go to that site or they can go to david reese uh, on facebook and, and see what's going on because like this this interview i'll i'll post and share as well you know well, i appreciate that absolutely and i want to ask you if you could give a message to each of your bandmates what would you like to tell them the guys i play with absolutely well, I got Malta the job playing bass in Victory, and he got a big Jackson bass endorsement. He could call me and say thanks. <laughs> <laughs> Andy, um, Andy is a, a non-backs guy, and it's real sad because Andy's not going to tour. They just made the law, no, no jab, no job in Germany, and that's where he lives. So I'm going to have to find a, a guitarist who will fill in for Andy, and I, I, I can't tell him what to do. It's his life, and... Uh, I'm, I just want to let him know that I'm sad about it. We're going to make another album together, obviously, but uh, he, it's his choice, and I respect that. Francesco, he knows how I feel about him. He's a monster drummer. He lives close by me here in Italy. Uh, we're doing a record together right now for a guy named Stefano Viana, and I'll probably see him in a week or so in the studio. I've already sang all the tracks, but he wants to do some live recording as well. Uh, I just want him to know that I think he's the best drummer that I've found in years. You know, that that's I, I work with great, great people. I'm lucky. I've been really lucky to surround myself. They, they make me better. You know, you can learn a little bit from everybody. You know, if you listen, and then you can see the bad side of them, just like we all have. We all have weird personality things, but there's there's a way this band works where we all admire each other and we're able to get through those bumps in the road where we're not trashing a limo going down the 101. <laughs> You're right. 
<laughs> and and uh, I remember speaking when I did speak with Rob McCauley. Um, he, one of the best advice things he got was, you know, to remember when you go in the studio the first time, you know, absolutely nothing. and all, mm-hmm. You know, you take it all in. And the more you learn, you know, the easier it becomes. Yeah. And he's great. Isn't he great? What a nice guy. I mean, yeah. Fabulous singer. I saw him when he was with Schenker a few times. I used to see Robin in the clubs in L.A. When he wasn't on tour, he was always out shaking hands and smiling. I mean, he's a, he's a real good person. Great singer, too. Yeah, absolutely amazing. And lastly, I wanted to ask you, if you could give a message to your fans, what would that message be? Buy CDs, buy vinyl. Um, I know it's tough out there. Uh, I see a lot of people complaining that, you know, myself or other bands aren't playing with, you know, within spitting uh, distance of their house. You know, you can't always book, you know, for everybody. You can't please everybody all the time, although we try. It's all about routing. And a lot of clubs, they don't want you playing, you know, an hour away from another club. They want the competition to stay away. And fans have to understand that. But I think the biggest thing, and I just heard this, by the way, the other day, there's a vinyl shortage because of the choke that's going on with shipping in America and other countries. Um, Yes, there is. Acts like Adele and Adele and other huge artists like that, they pretty much capitalize on the market and are only pressing vinyl for those bands. And I want the fans to know that it's not the band's choice. It's the huge artists have pretty much taken the monopoly under pressing a million vinyls with, you know, 10 people working in a factory. So it's really put a backlog on a lot of us to be able to even have vinyl um, and CDs. You know, the lockdown in Germany where they press mine for soul food, I think they had four people working in the factory. You cannot keep up with the orders and the distribution. So there's, I, I ask the people to be patient that, you know, I've got people waiting right now for months, the stuff that I've mailed to them personally. And they're not bad to me. You know, they, they understand. They're frustrated that it's happened to them. But my biggest thing would be to say, if you want rock and roll to survive, support it, support the artists you love, buy their, their albums and uh, don't give up. You know, I'm not a fan of this digital age. I, I really, I don't like having to download a record and pay for it and listen to it. It doesn't sound good to me. I can't look at it. I can look at photos while it's playing, but it's not the same. Exactly. The days of going to a record store and standing there with your friends and, and, and going through the classic Kiss records, if you could find one in the, in the shrink wrap that it came in or Led Zeppelin or those bands, you know, I miss that so much, you know, and it's not the fans fault. I mean, corporates have taken over to where they're talking about going strictly digital. And I think that would be the final nail in the coffin for a lot of fans who want to buy a CD or a record and look at photos and read lyrics. But the only way that's going to continue to sustain is if they buy it and not just go, okay, I surrender to the digital format. Right. And, you know, and then you have this takeover of all the radio stations playing yeah. the same songs <laughs> over and over again. 
Well, it's one CD, isn't it? And they just program yeah. it. And then they put in all their sponsors who say, if you don't play Paradise City by Guns N' Roses 50 times a day or Sweet Home Alabama, we're not going to advertise. So you put a bunch of people involved in corporate. You know, I remember as a kid, there was KQRS in Minneapolis where I started singing. We had a Sunday night B-side album night, and I couldn't wait for that because we had a DJ called Randy Kirschbaum. They called her Killer Kirschbaum. She had this really deep, smoky voice, and it was like a like a I don't know like a mystery trip, you know, when she would talk about this this album and this is side B of blah 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 Sabbath Bloody Sabbath, and mm -hmm. I'd be like, oh my god, I didn't even know they had those songs on that record, you know. So I'd run down to the store and go fishing for it and and find it. Those days I miss, you know, um, we live in a day and age that where I understand, you know, a lot of it's podcasts, a lot of it's digital, but again, physical product is where it's at. Absolutely. I mean, that was the great part, wasn't it? I mean, when we were kids going to record store, checking out what was actually inside the album, you know, how the lyrics were, the pictures, the gate pulled, everything. It was all a complete package. Yeah, and then you had the magazines. You know, remember Cream and Hit Parader and Kerrang? And they were all in the stores. And you could see, you know, a lot of times I'd take those pictures out of the magazine, pin it to my wall, and listen to the record. And look at all, you know, open up the vinyl if it was one of those that folded out and go, oh my God, there's Robert Plant and, you know, yeah. Another thing too is live shows. I mean, if, if you want if you want the bands to survive, you have to buy tickets and go see the band. And I know people are suffering right now, so I can't blame them. You know, we're on a limited budget here at home. My wife is a music fanatic. We have a basement, a mountain of vinyl that, that are covered in plastic. Uh, she was going to concerts nonstop. But she loves live music. She loves bands like Shine Down and, and stuff and and you know, when they're coming to town in Milan, we're going. And because that's what she lives for. When Jeff Tate played a festival I played a couple of years ago, she was right up front with her fist in the air with her backpack on. You know, that that if you want it to survive, you got to put feet in the room. Right. But you have to understand the fans that these promoters are so competitive right now. And these clubs are dying off because of COVID. You know, the restrictions that are put on these business owners. You know, if you can only go 33% of capacity, it's real hard to pay a band that's a working band that lives off their off their their trade. So a lot of bands also, with what I'm saying, it goes with the bands. You guys are going to have to be willing to make sacrifices, especially to get over this rough, rough patch we're in. I'm doing it. You know, fees coming down. And, and uh, so it's up to the bands, too. You know, you can't expect your fans to follow you and buy tickets if you're only going to come around and play certain venues that suit you as an artist. A club is a club, <laughs> you know. Right. I'm sorry. I mean, it's it. I don't care if I got a little monitor for sound. I'm going to go play. And I, I'm, I do it in Switzerland and other countries like that. They hold 150 people. I'm glad to see 80 people come there and go crazy. You know, I mean... It's the artist, too. I mean, times have changed, and, and we've got to – I don't know if I'm making any sense right now, but – Oh, absolutely. And the experience for the fans is also great at that level as well because there are no bad seats. No. I like smelling their breath. 
You know what I mean? They're right up front. I mean, they're sweating on me. And, and I mean, I was a little freaked out back in Bulgaria last summer. But, I mean, I, I that connection with an audience, what an audience gives to you, and they know the words to your songs, and they're singing along, and they're that look in their eyes that they're really happy. You know what I mean. When you sure, see a band, absolutely. there's a feeling – you know, it's like that that song that you love and your whatever that song is that you got. Every time you put that song on, it brings you back in time. You know, and I miss that. I really miss that. I, I I like to make friends with the club owners. I like to get to know the staff. I like to go when I return, sit down with the family, you know, eat dinner, hang out. I go out with a lot of the fans and you know have dinner. Like last on the 29th of October when this record was dropped. We did an in-store at a place called Media Markt, you know, this town called Stuart, Germany. It's about 30 minutes from Hamburg. And about, I think, 62 people showed up, and I sold 150-plus CDs. But they had posters up. It was like the old days, you know, it was an in-store. Mm-hmm. The, the guy that runs the place, his name is Holger Malstadt. I mean, he put on a, a shindig, man. It was like the old days. And just being there talking to people and hearing exactly what you're saying, everybody's saying what I'm saying too. get back out there on tour. I'll come see you. I said, man, I'm doing the damnedest to get out of here. You know, I mean, and it was, it was what I needed. You know what I mean? I really needed to get out there and put my hands in other people's hands and and say, thank you. Yeah. I think for the fans too, I remember when Ohio opened up, I could not wait to go see a show, you know? Yeah. I mean, Ripper, he comes from your state. I mean, yeah. I'm reading things about Ripper Owens and people whining that he's not playing in some uh, village that's, you know, 45 minutes from the place where he's playing. And he's like, get in the car, get on a bus. You know, I'm doing the best I can. I mean, right. you know what I mean? I mean, he's look where he's what he's done. I mean, I think he's done about 10 albums in the last year just to survive. But I remember <laughs> seeing him at. Um, he used to play locally in a local place called uh, Trippers. Mm-hmm. And uh, that was back in his American Mail day when they were, he was in a Priest cover band. Yeah. You know, I was up for Judas Priest at the same time he was. It was me, Ripper, and Rolf Sheepers from Primal Fear. I was talking to Jane Andrews via fax in those days. And my name got dropped and they were talking to me, but... I guess Ripper had gone on stage during a Judas Priest sound check because Alfred was sleeping and did Sinner and Ripper and all those songs. And they were like, where did you come from? He's like, oh, I'm in a tribute band here in my town. And they're like, good God. You know? <laughs> yeah. And he got the job. I remember I used to always tell them um, back then they did an excellent version of Street Killer by Great White. Oh, yeah. And man, he he just nailed the vocals on that. Wow, Jack Russell is, I mean, given all of his health problems, he's still got it. I mean, Jack was, I saw them open for Priest when they did Stick It, and they just blew my head off. They had like four lights on stage, but they really rocked that place. It was in a coliseum. And uh, I've known Jack for 40 years, I guess. He can, he can sing his ass off. <laughs> yeah. And the Zeppelin cover stuff. Oh, yeah. Crazy. <laughs> oh, yeah. Unbelievable. Since I've been loving you and songs like that, can make you cry. Yeah. 
Unreal. Well, I wanted to thank you so much for taking time to speak with me today. It's been an absolute pleasure. I could talk rock and roll with you all day. Absolutely, Robert. It's been a real joy for me. Thank you. I, I'm 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 tickled to do it, and and uh, and from the bottom of my heart, I thank you, the station. I thank the fans and uh, all of the support. And like I said, I didn't mean any any animosity with what I said. It's a two way street. I tried to make that clear. Mm-hmm. The bands have to come together too, you know. And if it means doing a few door gigs and and you know, but that also means the fans have to show up because the bands got to eat. We're all we all work, you know. Right. Absolutely. <laughs> It's a job, and that's what most people, well, the bands don't realize that it's, it's a job. It's a career, but it's a life, and, and you know, nobody's going to come throw it at your feet. You know, whatever you really want, if it's something special for you, you'll get it, or you'll at least get close enough to do it, and you can say to yourself when you put your head on a pillow, I gave it my best. Right, and I think... Um... The metal industry is by far the most loyal of all the markets. Absolutely. But then you got to get into the dynamic, you know, the, the, with, with age and, and a lot of things. Um, we have kids. We have families. We have responsibilities. So I get the Thursday night, Friday, Saturday thing, you know. No longer can we all jump in the car on a Monday night and sail till 4 in the morning because we got responsibilities, right? Right. I get that. I get that. Um, so a lot of clubs do their best business on the weekends, you know, because people can sleep off on Sunday what they did to themselves on the weekend. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> Where the band's sitting in the van, you know, with a bunch of stinky bourbon losers, you know, driving to another venue or the day off and sleeping in some shoddy hotel, you know, playing a door yeah. gig on Tuesday night, you know. <laughs> <laughs> It's so true. Yep. Well, I'd like you to please update me with any new news that happens with you and yeah. we can get together again. Absolutely. I, I, I really want to share the uh, the upcoming projects. I forgot to mention one. Uh, I did a record for a group called Wicked Sensation. It's on YouTube right now, the first single, Starbreaker. It comes out December 17th. It's a fabulous hard rock record. These guys, Michael Klein, Zhang Bong, I did an album with them called Adrenaline Rush in 2014, and they called me during the lockdown and said, let's do a record. This album is fabulous. And this first title track, or not title track, the album's called Outbreak, but Starbreaker, this first video, it's, it's all over YouTube. It's getting tons of views. I'm really proud of it. We shot three videos for the record. Comes out December 17th, and they're pre-ordered right now from Rock of Angels Records. Look at that album. It's fantastic. I'll definitely check it out. All right, my brother. Thank you, Robert. All right. Thank you, and you take care and have a great rest of your day. You too, my friend. Bye-bye. Bye. I'd like to thank you for listening to today's podcast. You can sponsor the podcast. Just click that button, and you can be a member of the family. And remember, come see me for a fix.